So that is Cole Mendoza who got baptized last night. You may notice that a lot of our students are at Winterfest in Gatlinburg. And Cole was baptized last night, which is appropriate because today is Baptism Sunday. We are concluding our series preaching what we practice today, talking about baptism. And several people are already planning on getting baptized at the end of this. And maybe you're here and you're interested in that. And maybe the Spirit does some work in you while we're talking about this. And if so, as soon as this sermon's over, you can join the others who are being baptized as we put on Jesus. But today, before we do it, we're going to talk about it. So my um, friend, Mike Cope, who preached at the church I preached at in Abilene before me, uh, he also preached at College Church in Searcy for uh, many years. Well, Mike, a couple of decades ago, was in his office... Uh, in Abilene at Highland, and somebody bust in and said, quick, come to the auditorium, which is a little bit like ours, without maybe the slope, but come to the, come to the auditorium because uh, someone is trying to drown themselves in our baptistry. And he thought that was a joke at first, but sure enough, there was a woman who was mentally disturbed, and she had gotten into the auditorium and snuck into the baptistry, and she was trying to drown herself. And so Mike starts running there, along with a lot of other people. The children's ministry, because their auditorium was set up like ours, the children's ministry was trying to get up to the ladies' dressing room, but it was locked, so she couldn't get in. And it's Mike and the student minister. Mike's dressed in a suit, but uh, he looks at the student minister, and the student minister doesn't want to get that precious t-shirt of his wet. So Mike has to climb up in the baptistry, and he gets up and he grabs the woman to hold her to keep her from sticking her head under the water for a few minutes. And then all the first responders in Abilene show up and get the woman the care that she needs. And eventually, after 20 or 30 very intense minutes, it's just Mike and this older police officer in the auditorium. And the older police officer puts his arm around Mike and says, you know... We wouldn't have this problem if you guys just sprinkled. (laughs) So we practice at this church baptism by immersion, and we do that because the early Christians did that. It seems to be the practice in the New Testament, because we believe baptism is the way that a believer identifies themselves with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And baptism is hard to preach on because like the other mysteries of the church, and it really is in the New Testament, it's described as a mega mystery along with marriage and communion as if it's so hard to explain because what you do when you get baptized is ultimately not about baptism. It's about God. It's about something much bigger than what it actually is. Now listen, have you ever wondered why we do this? It's kind of a strange thing, right? You stand up in front of people, you take a really public bath, and then everybody claps for you? That's a weird thing to explain to an outsider's. So, baptism in the New Testament is, is constantly associated with salvation. But do we need saving? What do we need saving from? So since we live in a, this part of the world is disenchanted. We, we live in a place and time that is largely disenchanted. I want to start by explaining to you what baptism really is because it is not disenchanted. Um, you know, when I say disenchanted, here's what I mean. How many of y'all have experienced angels, for example? 
Or how many of y'all, if you are struggling with mental health problems, blame it on demons instead of going to a psychiatrist, right? And that's, that's great, that's good, but there are more at play than what we can just see. Now, because we live in a disenchanted age, I need to tell you that the water in the baptistry is just normal H2O. But the hay that Jesus, baby Jesus, was laid in was also just normal hay. That wood that Jesus was crucified on was just normal wood. Because the Christian faith comes to us from the stuff of this world. God gave us himself in the very stuff of this world. So, since we live in a disenchanted age, I think it's important to see baptism from the outside first. Netflix has a show, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it, called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. And it's not that Sabrina, it's a, it's a darker version of that story. And a few years ago, one of their episodes was Sabrina having what is called a dark baptism, which is a thing she was getting baptized into the occult. Now, if I was to come to the average person on the street and ask them, do you want to get baptized into Satan? They would say, no, I do not want to do that. But when we talk about being baptized into Jesus, for some reason we think, well, that's just symbolic. Listen, why don't you want to get baptized into Satan? Because what you're saying is, I do not want to identify with Satan. I do not want to be united with Satan. You can see it from another perspective that that is not something you want to do. But listen, when we talk about symbols, symbols don't mean it's less real. It means it's more real. I mean, think about symbols that you hold precious, you know, like the American flag or something. To call it a symbol doesn't make it less important, right? And the reason people wouldn't get baptized into Satan is because they don't want to be unified with Satan. So... I struggle to believe the story I'm about to tell you on an intellectual level, but I know the person that this happened to. I trust this person. So I'm going to tell you, if you want to know this preacher's name afterwards, you can come up and ask me and I'll tell you. But um, there was a preacher in Seattle for many years in our fellowship. And a couple of decades ago, there was a, they had a Saturday night instrumental service. And a couple of decades ago... There was a woman who was visiting from out of state, and she went to church with her friends. She did not normally go to church. She was a part of the occult. But she came to church so she could go to dinner afterwards with them, and um, she was a practicing member of the occult, but the Lord pricked her heart in the service. And she gave her life to the Lord and got baptized. And... Because she was in a pretty tight community, a cultish community, um, she was nervous about how the people out of state would respond. So she went and stayed with her friends. A couple of days later, her boyfriend, who was also a member of that practice, I, I don't know if the right word is warlock or whatever, but her boyfriend shows up at the church office and he's so angry and he's he barges in, he's yelling at the preacher, he's saying, where's my girlfriend? And because he was so angry and seemed to be aggressive and maybe even violent, my preacher, who was embarrassed to tell this, said, my preacher friend said, I told him where she was at. Because he was concerned for his own safety and the safety of the people in the office. And as this man was walking out of the office, he said, quick, just tell me one thing. You didn't baptize her, did you? 
And he said, yes, we did. And the man put his head down and said, well, then it's no use. I'm too late. Now, I tell you this, even though I struggle to believe that on an intellectual level, because I think it helps to make sense of our disenchanted age. And also, if you've been alive for any amount of time, you've probably noticed there is more going on in our world than just human choices. Right? It's more than just... I don't, if, when you see human trafficking, when you see child abuse, it's not just human choices. And not just that. I did jail ministry for many years in Fort Worth. And in our pod, the God pod we called it, there was, um, there was a lot of faithful guys who were doing really, I mean, they were growing in the Lord like crazy. But after years, I found out that one of the people who were members of our God pod, one of the most faithful, best people, was actually a murderer. That he was known in Fort Worth as the shoestring killer. And I was like, Brother Richard is the shoestring killer? And, and so I talked to him about it. And you know what he said? This absolutely normal guy was like, I just got carried away. And that's one of the problems about being around for a while. You start to realize that this evil that's in the world, when the smoke clears, it's just normal human beings who got caught up in something larger than themselves. Now this is important, because when, if you're interested in learning about Jesus, there are four Gospels, four historical accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, and all four of them kind of open up by saying, but first, demons. Because Jesus, before you know anything else about him, you know he's an exorcist. Most Christian sermons in in America, we don't start with that. Because we're talking to modern, disenchanted, secular people. But the gospel doesn't let us off the hook here. It tells us that Jesus immediately starts kicking demons out of people. He has an authority. At one point, a man comes in with a host of demons on him. And he comes in hot. And Jesus, with a word, sends the demons out to a bunch of pigs and kill them. Now this is interesting because contrary to popular belief, the Bible is not wall-to-wall supernatural stuff. It's mostly a bunch of historical events and historical names that you, that are cooperated in history. But when you get to Jesus, in fact, the Gospels are really the first demon exorcism in the Bible is Jesus. And Jesus did not, he was not born into Narnia. He was not born into some middle earth. He was born into this earth between 4 BC and 29 to 30 AD. He lived and was crucified under historical people who really existed, like Pontius Pilate and Herod Agrippa. Jesus' world was our world, but in the Bible, our world is not the only world. In fact, sometimes moments happen. And that world breaks into our world. Kind of like the way that, you know, like mafia stuff happens. Like it's happening all the time, but we don't know about it until moments like in 1972 in uh, um, New York, some guys went to a crowded seafood restaurant and murdered the mafia boss, Crazy Joe Gallo. It kind of broke out in the middle of the open all of a sudden. That's what happens 
every now and then. And I start here for the same reason the great Christian preacher Francis Schaeffer, when he used to preach to college students, he would start by talking about angels. And people asked him, why are you starting there? And he said, because if I don't, then they're, they're going to think I'm just talking about moralism. They're going to think I'm just telling them, hey, grit your teeth, try harder, be a good person or whatever. But he's talking about, he wants them to know we're talking about bigger truths. Truths beyond what you can just see. Now, I'm going to talk about salvation and purpose and forgiveness in a minute. But I want to start here by saying, this is not just more of what we're already used to. There is something happening. If you've ever been in a wedding, you know it's more than just the sum total of the words being spoken. Something is happening that will make a difference forever. This is a very entry into a very different kind of story. And there is a very real sense that every baptism is also an exorcism. Let me name some of those things for you. Some spiritual forces that you may be susceptible to. Like vanity. The excessive concern of what other people think about you. Maybe that's on social media. Maybe that's your neighbors. Maybe that's your friends. Maybe every criticism just crushes you. Maybe your pride when you get complimented makes you look down on others. What about gluttony? That is not just about food. It's not even primarily about food. It can be how we a relationship with tobacco and alcohol and pills. It's how much we have to have pleasure, even when we know that eventually it's going to be a lot of pain. Or, or what about envy? Our, our, our tendency to, instead of being grateful for all the things God has given us, to look to our left and our right and say, why aren't I like that? We, it, which is a, a position, a posture, a heart posture of just ingratitude. Or what about wrath? You, you want to impose your will on other people and you feel so small unless you make yourself look big. Or what about lust, which is a lot more than just how you treat someone of the opposite sex. It's using people and seeing people as a means to an end. Now listen, if you get baptized today, you're going to get a t-shirt, which is cool. It actually reveals words when you get it wet. It's really, really cool, but... That is not primarily what you're going to get. You're going to get power. Power from on high to be a different kind of person. Because baptism is our witness, our compass, and our fortress. First off, baptism is our witness. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. And I want you to see this story. There's a guy named Philip. He's one of the first followers of Jesus. Um, they're starting to get persecuted in Jerusalem, so they're starting to spread out a little bit. And the Spirit of God leads Philip to a eunuch. Now, a eunuch is not a low-cut shirt at J. Crew. It means something. <laughs> That's a slow burn, isn't it? All right, here's what happens in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, as in the Gaza Strip. See, this is happening in real places, in real parts of the world. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the condo... What's that? How do you say it? I'm thinking the ice cream bar. 
Can, can, how do you say it? Kondike, okay, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And by the way, remember, he's running at this time. Do you understand what you're reading? So just read the little huffs and puffs in there. Because he didn't tell him, the spirit didn't tell him to go get in the chariot. He said, go stay near it. So, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, the eunuch said, unless someone explains it to me. So, he blessedly invited Philip in, into the sit with the chariot with him. And this is the passage that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? Now, he's a eunuch. You can see why this passage would be important to him. Because he's not going to have descendants. For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What does stand in the way of me being baptized? What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now, I want you to see, this guy is rich and powerful and he's also searching. Do you notice this guy has power? He gives orders. He's driving a chariot in a world where nobody drives a chariot. He's reading a scroll in a world where that costs a ton of personal money. He has arrived, and yet he is searching. So he goes to Jerusalem. He travels hundreds of miles to Jerusalem because he's heard about this one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he gets there, and he finds out that as much as he's hungry for more, he isn't allowed in. Because of this, in Deuteronomy 23, no one who has been, this is Hebrew scriptures, no one who has become a eunuch by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. The reason that would happen back in the day, the reason people would become eunuchs is because they wanted to get ahead in their career. Or maybe it was something that was forced on him. But here's what I want you to see. When he asked... What can stop me from getting baptized? This is a guy who's already been excluded from the very thing he traveled hundreds of miles to be at. And so that means Philip has got a question to answer. Well, can anything stop it? Because the Spirit, the angel told me to go, the Spirit led me here. But for whatever reason, this guy who's rich and powerful and, and prestigious in his role, he's, you know, he reports directly to the queen of Ethiopia, is an outsider. He's just been reminded that he's an outsider. And now he's asking Philip, can anything stop me? And Philip gets in the water with him because he's figuring out that in the kingdom of God, if you want in, there's no such thing as an outsider. 
And here's what baptism is. It is our witness. When you see someone baptized, if you are a baptized believer, you are reminded that they are your sibling. No matter who it is. From Jeffrey Dahmer to, uh, you know, Linda Smith. (laughs) I really like that spectrum. It just came to me. (laughs) We are now equal to, to each other in Christ Jesus. Because this whole thing is grace. Because baptism, baptism isn't something you did. Baptiz, it, baptism is something that you do, that is done to you. Sam Houston, who is the, you know, Texas pioneer or whatever. He, Sam Houston's a guy that Houston City is named after. And he did a lot of stuff. And then he decided to get baptized as an adult. And he knew all the stuff he had done. And everybody else did too. And when he gets baptized, he said, just smartly, man, they better pray for those fishes. Because he knew what that meant. Do you know Jeffrey Dahmer got baptized? The guy who did, uh, I can't describe it because we're, you know, little ears or whatever. But he did a lot of bad stuff. He was a murderer. He did a lot of bad stuff. And a member from our fellowship, actually a couple of members from our fellowship, reached out to Jeffrey Dahmer on death row as this guy is going to justifiably be killed for what he did. And I can't shake that. Actually, the guy who reached out to him, one of the guys who reached out to him is a friend of a friend. He's just a normal dude who's a teacher in Nashville. But this is what baptism does. If you, get, if you understand what Jesus is giving you in this moment, you realize that we're all in the same boat and it's leaking. It involves being self-aware enough to realize you're selfish, that left to your own devices, you're going to self-destruct. In the words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, Hi, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. At everybody agrees. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought that, that decibel got a lot higher and younger when I asked. But yeah, that's what it means. I'm the problem. You realize you begin to break stuff and relationships and moods and stuff you don't want to break. And it's humbling. Baptism is always humbling because at the root of our sin, all sin, is pride. Our world talks a lot about being inclusive these days, and I care a lot about that. I really do. I hope you do too. But the truth is nobody, no group is truly inclusive. Nobody. Because there will always be people, no matter how well you think of yourself, that you exclude. But baptism is different. Because while anyone can belong to the kingdom of God, you don't get to define what the kingdom of God is. And our tradition comes from Anabaptist, which means baptism again. Because in the medieval ages, um, everybody was infant baptized. The bar of following Jesus was very low. Where everyone was a Christian, no one was a Christian. And a group of people like Amish and Mennonite and ultimately churches of Christ and Christian churches said, you know what? The way of Jesus cannot be coerced. It must be submitted to And the answer to the question, who can be saved, is anyone who wants to be. But here's the thing about what your baptism means. It is your witness, because while it is for anyone who wants it, it is not for everyone. It must be chosen as a way of submitting to King Jesus. And the question is, everyone's going to belong to a group that has people on the outside of it. The question is, how do you treat the people on the other side that line because if you bend your knee to king jesus you love your enemies 
You pray for people who persecute you. You love your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, and your enemies. Every baptized believer is called to love their brother and sister in Christ, whether you like them or not. That's how we show the world what God is like. That's how we show our witness to the world. And that should be enough to humble every son and daughter of Adam and Eve. And to raise your head. We act out the gospel in our death, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a request for newness. It is not a need for more religion. It is a need for recreation. And I think that recreation starts in baptism. The New Testament, when it talks about baptism, it uses metaphors that are so compelling. Birth, water, marriage, um, death. Um, it, it's It's... Not, it's a declaration of faith. It is not, and this is important for us to get, it is not an addition to faith. The New Testament never uses the word work to describe baptism. In fact, Martin Luther, who was really big on making sure we weren't works righteousness Christians, Martin Luther said this, It is true that our works are of no use for salvation. Baptism, however, is not our work, but God. Baptism gives substance to faith as it points visibly and verbally to the saving work of Jesus. It is our way of saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And baptism is our compass. The Ethiopian eunuch is on a search for identity. And here's the thing. He's got everything he thought would bring him completeness in his life. He is a big deal. We, we think of him maybe like a servant or whatever. No, he's the CFO of a major company in Africa. And he's searching. And maybe you are too. Who needs this? Anybody who's tried to find their identity in their possessions or their job or their, their relationships or their status. Who needs to remember their baptisms? Everybody who has had Jesus ransom us from this. And that's the word the New Testament uses, ransom. Think about it like this. Jesus is like Liam Neeson, kicking open the door, a man with a specific set of skills, the only person who could give us what we've always been searching for. And he saved us from what we would have been. Baptism is the difference between a tire kicker and a car buyer. It is our pledge of allegiance to King Jesus above all things, and it is our call for unity because he gives us a new way to live his spirit for us to follow and to be comforted and changed by it gives my life direction it points me in the way to go in fact the new testament does not argue for baptism we've done that the new testament argues from baptism It assumes you're going to want to follow Jesus. If you're wanting to follow Jesus, you would follow Jesus into one of the first things he did in his ministry and one of the ways you unite and identify with Jesus and the way you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It assumes that, but it uses that to say, and therefore, since this has all been given, since you didn't do anything, in fact, you just stand there. Since that has been such a gift that God has given you, then we live differently. So all the ethics in the New Testament are almost all baptized language. Speaking about since you've been baptized. In fact, Colossians 3, 1 through 8, that's what they would say over people's baptism. 
So this is what Paul says. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sins, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of life, because that's idolatry. That will crush your spirit and lead you to despair. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your evil nature and its wicked deeds. In its place, you have clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature with you. Baptism will take you as you are, as I am, but it does not let me stay that way. Because at baptism... I'm asking for God to deal with my past and give me a new future. And that's what happens. It's not a request for a new set of rules. It is a request to be led by the Spirit of God. So we wear our baptisms wherever we go. If you've been baptized, you've been called to live differently. A lot of y'all know my friend Josh Ross who preaches in Memphis. About 10 years ago, he was, it was a heated moment in American history. I, I don't even remember exactly what it was. But a church member came up to him. And he was angry about something. And he used a racial slur. And there's a lot of ways that Josh could respond to that. But very respectfully and gently, he just said, Excuse me, sir. Have you been baptized? And the guy was like, Yeah. And Josh said, well, then you can't talk about people like that. We don't talk like that. We live differently. We live by a different kind of spirit. Baptism is our compass. Eileen, would you come up here for a second? Do you mind? Yeah, I mentioned this to you. It's not, come on up, come on up. Eileen is um, our new sister in Christ. She was baptized um, Late last year, in December, Caitlin got baptized, and then Eileen saw Caitlin, come on up, Eileen saw Caitlin get baptized, and she thought, I've always wanted to do that. And so, next week, her and brother Steve Burton and Sonia, they get up there, you may remember this, because Steve goes, Sonia latched on to Eileen like a, what was it, a TV on Black Friday, (laughs) and it was just this amazing moment that happened, because Kate, you saw Caitlin, and you thought, I want to do that. And now she's moving to El Paso. Or she's renouncing her baptism, I guess. Just kidding. <laughs> but I want you to know, when I talk about baptism as a compass, I want you to know, you've got a worldwide family of brothers and sisters, and we are so glad that we got to be a part of you for a long time. Thank and any time you're back, you have brothers and sisters that love you here. Thank Can we give it up for Eileen? Yeah. Thank you, Eileen. You can have a seat. Thank you. And I also want you to know, baptism is our compass, our witness, our compass, and our fortress. Because Satan, I don't know about you, but Satan did not get drowned when I got baptized. In fact, things got a little bit more difficult. One of the people getting baptized today is a really good friend of mine. I feel like he's like a nephew or something. I, I love Jake. He's getting baptized today. And last week when we were talking, he said, hey, I have a question. What's going to be the difference on before baptism and after baptism? Which is a really good question. And I said, Jake, there's not going to be a huge difference between Saturday and Monday. 
But what will happen is there will be a big difference between who you are today and who you are in five years. I can tell you, if you're considering this, that the way I've responded to life in the last few decades has been different than how I would have responded to life had I not accepted the Holy Spirit into my life. And I can tell you this. Baptism is your fortress because I don't defend the Christian faith. The Christian faith defends me. You don't defend the Christian faith. The Christian faith defends you. And for those of us who have chosen this, we turn around and realize God has chosen us. Listen, you're going to have hard times in life. We all are. This is not a fortress from people dying from hard times, from bad diagnosis. That is not part of it. The Christian faith started with the very worst thing happening to the very best people. Life is going to be hard, but you will not deal with it the same way. Do you know what's so great about that Ethiopian eunuch story? When they're opening up the passage of Isaiah, that it goes on to say, after the suffering servant of Jesus, the Messiah is going to come. And then it says, in the very same section, therefore, all, there will be a day when all eunuchs will be given something even greater than offspring. Those who are part of the people of God are now going to get their deepest heart's desire. Because you know what it is? What it always has been? God. You know, I'd like to invite the people who are going to get baptized to start going up into the dressing rooms right now. I think Brother Eddie's going to be helping on this side and Cheryl's going to be helping the sisters on this side. But do you know, do you know, do you think the Ethiopian eunuch ever realized? Like this whole thing? What, do you think you ever realized that Philip was led by the Spirit to him? Or do you think he thought it was just a coincidence that this guy from Israel, the very place he's leaving, do you, that he just shows up jogging with him? Do you think he has any idea that this whole thing was the Spirit of God doing this? Do you think the eunuch thought this was his work? Or did he realize that this was the hand of God. He had been to Jerusalem searching for God, and it turns out God was searching for him. And and do you think he realized it wasn't just a coincidence that he just happened to be reading Isaiah, the part where it talks about eunuchs and the Messiah dying? Because it wasn't a coincidence. It was the hand of God. And maybe you being here today isn't a coincidence. And maybe that conversation that you had a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago isn't a coincidence. Maybe if your heart is open, you can realize God is still the same. And he's searching for us. And we get off the rail when we remove God from baptism. This is not something we do. It is something God does to us, for us, and through us. It's the same God. And for those of you you who have been baptized... I want you to think back to what led you to it. Because the same God who brought you to this place can be trusted with your future because He's been working in your past. And He will see us through the joys and sorrows of this life and the age to come. And that's what we're doing when we practice what we preach. But that's just us talking on water. Now it's time.
to do it.